2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm sure you all know this story. I don't think it's been a while, it's been a while since we have covered it. But as we've been looking at this series in faithfulness, we're going to see here that people have different ways of doing things. There's their way and there's God's way. We want to look at this story compared to our life because then sometimes in our time, we have gone after our way thinking it was God's way. And we had some of the same reactions that happened here in this story. But over in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So David desires to bring up the ark, and it's said it is in Baal, Judah. And where is that exactly? And it's been a little while since we've heard the ark mentioned. So if we dig on back, we can figure out where this is. But in 1 Samuel, you can hold your place there in 2 Samuel and look up on the screen or I'll just read these for you. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20, And the men of Bethshema said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And who and to whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. So when the Philistines first sent it back when they had taken it captive. And it went to the place of Kirjith Jerim. In first Samuel of the next verse in verse one of chapter seven. Then the men of Kirjith Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So now we know where it was after this, and then it disappeared. We didn't hear a whole lot about it for a while. In Joshua chapter 15 and verse 9, describing the borders of Israel. One of those exciting verses of Scripture I know. But Then the border went around the, from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Nephtoah and extended to the cities of Mount Ephraim. Ephron, I'm sorry. And the border went around Bela, which is kerjeth Jerim. Now, Bela is just another spelling of the word of the city we just read. So what we're seeing is that where the ark is now in Second Samuel chapter 6 is exactly where it left off in First Samuel. Kerjith Jerim. It's in the same person's house. It's in the same city. It hasn't moved. It's been there all this time. Under the care of Eleazar. Verse 3, So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of, the, of God. And Ahihu went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of the wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. Just naming it after the event and what happened. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? Now, where do they get the idea of bringing the ark on a cart? If you know your history at all and you know the law of Israel and how the ark is built, how is the ark supposed to be carried? 
on your shoulders with poles. No cart was ever to be involved. It was always supposed to be with poles. There were even loops built into the ark to hold the poles and they were supposed to elevate that above their, about above their shoulders and the Levites were to carry it that way. That's how it was to be done. There is no other way to give it. But the Philistines, when they captured it, didn't have the benefit of reading the law. And so they just came up with a way and they came up with several things to do with this. And if you go back to the story in 1 Samuel, you can read that over and see a number of things they came up with. But it just seems that David, instead of doing any research on it, figured out, well, the last time it was moved, it was moved on carts. And they just set it on the cart and no one really drove it. Just the oxen brought it home. Must be God's in it then. And so they just got a new cart. Figure, all right, we won't use anything old. We'll get a brand new cart because God deserves the best. And so we'll get the brand new cart and a nice uh, group of oxen there. And while people, some of the Levites around it to to guard it, to watch over it, because that's what Uzzah is. He's one of the Levites. So they move it the same way as the Philistines did in 1 Samuel 6, verse 7. You'll see that in that given. But God's instructions were different. And we listed them. These are just some of the places. You can actually look at about a dozen or so scriptures that talk about the ark being being carried. Exodus chapter 37 and verse 5 is where he really gives the specifics of it. This is how it's to be done. And most of the other references you see is they talk about having the poles, putting the poles through and carrying the, the ark. Even in Joshua chapter 3 is where the Levites have the ark, put it up on their shoulders and stepped into the Jordan. And as soon as they stepped into the Jordan with the ark on their shoulders, the Jordan parted. We all know that story pretty well. But here Uzzah dies. Now Uzzah is a Levite, but he's one of the sons of Abinadab. He's not just some running about guy. Abinadab is the guy who's had this this uh, ark in his house for all this time. And probably his house has been blessed because of it because the next caretaker, his house is blessed because of it. So we'd have to assume that Abinadab's house was blessed also. He had it longer. Probably didn't want to see it go. But anyway, he had it there and he was taking care of it. And Uzzah, his son, was one of the ones. His other son was in the front and Uzzah was, was uh, around where the, towards the back where the cart was. And he stretched out his hand because this oxen had stumbled and he thought maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't have, but he thought it was going to fall off. And I don't know about you, but if I was Uzzah, I would have thought that's not a good thing for the ark of God to fall on the ground. And he didn't want that to happen, so he put out his hand to, to steady it. And as soon as he touched the ark, he died. Now, we don't know what, how, how the Philistines handled it. But if the Philistines didn't read the law to know how to uh, transport it back, they more than likely didn't read the law to know not to touch it. And I wonder if any of them did. And if they did, we don't hear about any of them dying. That didn't seem quite fair, does it? <laughs> Well, they didn't have the benefit of the law. They didn't know the uh, ordinances that God had put in place for that. And it seemed that God, if they did touch it, God didn't hold them accountable for it. But Uzzah, maybe he doesn't know the law, but he is a Levite. He should know how to move the ark. That's his job. And he's in the household of those that are taking care of the ark. If you're in a household and suddenly the ark has come upon you, even though it's not really supposed to be there, but it has come upon you, would you not look at how to take care of it? How many of you ever had to uh, had the opportunity to watch someone's exotic pet? Just something that's outside of the cats and dog realm. Just something different. Maybe a bird. Maybe a lizard. Maybe a frog. 
doesn't have to be anything that bites or is nasty. Just something that is different and you're going to have it in your care for a little while. Would you not want to read up at least a little bit about it to get you through that week or two? So that at least you don't give it back dead? <laughs> That's always good. You can get it back and it not be dead. Generally better beneficial that way, but... You know, if somebody's just going to give you a goldfish, well, pretty much everybody's had a goldfish at some time or another and it's no big deal. But if you're going to have something different, then you want to read up about it and, and check it out. You would have think these guys would have done so. And maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. We don't know. Nothing is said of it. And David doesn't seem to consult them. They don't seem to have any kind of discourse with David. This isn't the way to move the ark. Everyone seems to be in agreement. Everybody goes, put the ark on the, on the cart, and let's just move it. And so they get ready to move it and they come to this place and this isn't so good. Here's a guy who dies. And we decide to stop the whole thing because Uzzah died. And we don't know why he died. Well, they were warned by God that this would happen. Right from the beginning. Right in Exodus chapter 37, verse 5. They said, if you touch it, you will die. He, he couldn't get much more plain than that. Don't touch it. If you touch it, you die. That's it. Now, what happens if you touch the ark today? The Spirit of God isn't in the ark anymore. He's not in the Holy of Holies. And he's not in the ark. But I don't, if I found the ark and I stumbled upon it, I'm not touching it. <laughs> and I know before, if you looked inside, the, the, the presence of the holy God was, was in there. And that doesn't have to be in the ark anymore. But I'm not looking inside. There's some things I am intensely curious about. But when God says, don't do it, I don't look to see, can I do it now? If he said, don't do it, I'm fine with, all right, I'm, I won't touch that. I'm not going near there. I'm not looking inside. I'm not. If I got to heaven and the ark of God was there, I still probably would back off and wouldn't touch it. Now, if God says, go ahead, all right, then I'll go ahead and do that, but I'll wait for Him to say that. If we just show up there and there's the ark, I'm, I'm standing back. I'll keep my distance. I'm not going to be touching the thing. And, and it may be totally just a normal box right now. And that might be perfectly fine, but I'm still obeying whatever the Word of God said. He said, don't touch it. And He only, as far as I could tell, He only said that one time. But that's all you need. You shouldn't need that anymore. How many of your parents, when you were growing up, they said, don't touch the outlet. Don't put your finger in the outlet and so forth and, and don't do that. And I still remember my, my mom. She scared me to no end. Don't put your finger in the toaster. Have you ever been told that? Don't put your finger in the toaster. But you know, when you get that, you know, maybe before you had bigger slices of bread and they pop up and you can just grab the thing. But now you know, you've got those little bagels and they're getting down there and they pop. They don't come all the way out. How are you going to get the little bagel out of there? You either reach in with a fork, which I don't think that's all that great either. <laughs> or else you got to use your, you got to do something to get the bagel out of there. Maybe that's why I don't do toast too much anymore. <laughs> but you got to do something. And so every time that I reach in there with my finger, I'm always thinking what mom said. Don't reach your finger in there, you'll get electrocuted. So I'm always, every time, not a single time goes by that I don't do that. that well, I know I won't get electrocuted now. You know, I, I know what to do. You know, just don't touch the coils. But fortunately, the thing is hot. So you don't want to touch those things on the outside that might have some electricity to come through you. But beside that, I've been zapped already. Other ways... And I survived. <laughs> so I'm not quite as scared about getting zapped as, a, as much as I was before. Oof. How many of y'all been zapped? Can you remember? The, can you remember uh, I know you have been. The stuff you were doing. <laughs> can you remember your biggest zap you ever got from electric, electricity? 
I have two really large zaps in my life. I've got a whole lot of other little ones. And one of the little ones I got was when I was a kid and mom, you know, said, don't touch the electric outlet. Well, I did with a knife. Stuck it right in there. And that was not one of the big ones. <laughs> that was not one of the big ones I got. Don't do that, by the way, but... I got much bigger ones doing other things that were far more innocent. Far less nasty sounding. I don't even know why I got zapped on one of them. I couldn't figure out why it was, but oh man, I got zapped, threw me back in the room. A couple of feet. <laughs> Jumped me back. Whew. I still remember. I can still feel it today. I mean, my finger hurt for a long time. <laughs> Electricity and water just don't mix. And there was... Uh, there was water around in, in that particular situation. And not only water, it was salt water. And I, I think salt water is just worse. I'm not sure about that, but I'm just, I think salt water is just a little bit worse than just regular water. And, and the other one that I got really zapped on didn't even involve an electric outlet. Didn't even, there was no electric outlet around. There was no water around. But boy, did I get hit. I got hit so bad, people in the room saw it. Mm. But you all can remember, because you get zapped by this, you know, you, you can remember that stuff, can't you? That kind of just lives in there. Well, this is a really big zap. If you touch the, the ark, I mean, you aren't coming back from this one. <laughs> However, it was that God took care of it, whether it was an electrical type of a charge or if he just zapped you or whatever it was, you weren't coming back. So he said, don't touch it. If he says, don't touch it, I'm not touching it. I'm staying back. Even if we're in the new covenant, even if Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins, even if the veil of the temple has been rent in two, I don't care. I'm not touching it. That's just not something I'm going to do. If I if they had a holy of holies, I wouldn't go in. I want to make sure I had to check my lineage out, make sure that I'm of the tribe of Levi, that I'm in line to be high priest. And if that doesn't come out, then I'm not going in. I don't need to go in there. <laughs> My curiosity is not greater than my, my knowledge of needing to obey God. But Yuza, he thought, well, I'll just study it. It didn't, probably just wasn't even thinking. May not have been aware of the law at that point, but whatever it was, he just reached his hand out and studied it and died right there on the spot. And that was it. I wrote Numbers 4 and 15 in here for you to read. And when Aaron and his sons had finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Korah are to carry. And it went on and gave the, the list of things there to, for them to do. But the Word of God told you what to do, what not to do, what to touch, what not to touch, what to stay away from, and all that sort of stuff. And moving the ark in a cart was first off wrong. Shouldn't have done that. That was one way. If you would not have done that, you probably would be okay. But they went ahead and did that. So that's where their problem came in. But we see that David became angry and afraid. Not a good combination. But angry and afraid. And all of the all of it, he's angry and afraid of God. He's angry because he didn't think what God did was just and right. How many of you have ever been in, been in a position? where God did something and you did not think what God did was just and right. Maybe to someone else, maybe to you. How many of y'all had something happen? Something happened in your life? Something go on? You lost this, you got this, whatever it was. You didn't think you deserved it. You didn't think it was just and you didn't think it was right. What does that make you do? 
Get angry and afraid you'll get more. More of the same. You just don't like that. I mean, I might be a boss. How many times have a boss stepped in this way and done things that were unjust and not right? And that can get you angry. You took away some of my money. If your boss takes away money from you that was promised to you, how many of you are angry? Yeah. You ought to be angry. We talked about it on Wednesday night, but folks, there are very few people in our country are standing up in defense of AIG. I hope you all are not one of those who are getting on their case. Shame on you if you are, because you haven't heard the whole story. We talked about it on some Wednesday nights and things like that, but, but I don't make as much money, you don't make as much money as some of these folks in AIG getting bonuses. Who cares? It's not your business whether you get as much money as they do or, or, or what. But most of these guys that were getting these bonuses, which you were not being told of, they got these bonuses because uh, that was their, pretty much their salary. Uh, in fact, one guy wrote a resignation letter. He got a $1 salary annually. $1. Worked 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Got $1. All his money was tied up in the bonus. That's how he was paid. And it's actually a, a, most of the bonuses for AIG are bonuses, uh, what they call, I forgot the name of it now, but, but parting bonuses when they, you'll stay on. Uh, severance pays another one. They have another name they actually call a bonus. I can't think of it. Retention, there it is, retention bonus. We'll give you, if you stay on and close this job out, we'll give you this much money. And a lot of them were, was that, but uh, this one guy wrote his resignation letter. It was published in the New York Times. And he said, um, I've been working 10, 12, 14 hours, been missing my family for a dollar. I said, I've, I give you my resignation now. I've already said I'll, I'll donate my salary to charity. But how would you like to have worked for a whole year and found out you didn't work for anything at all? How many of you would get a little angry at that? How many of you would get angry at senators who wanted to publish your name and address so that people like uh, Acorn could parade people in front of your house and throw things at you, have death threats and stuff like that? And senators didn't even care. Barney Frank was even up there, didn't care if that was going to happen. That's just atrocious. We offer more protection to terrorists from senators and such things like that than we do for people who actually work for our company. But as we told you on Wednesday night, it's a distraction. The whole thing is a distraction. Y'all got focused on $165 million and got angry at it. When AIG was given $172-$173 billion and gave away $92 to $96 billion to foreign banks. How many of y'all knew about that? But you see, we didn't focus on that. We focused on $165 billion. Million, which sounds like a whole lot of money, but it's, it's, it's a fraction of 1% of the money they were given. Totally took all the attention off of what was given to foreign banks. But you got angry, didn't you? Some of you did. <laughs> Hope the rest of you didn't. I don't care if you don't get $250,000 in a year and their bonus was two hundred fifty or 500000 or any such thing. As soon as you let the government come in and set anyone's salary, that is a bad news for everybody. Bad news for everyone. You should not let that go on. Don't get, don't let anger get in there. That's what they want you to do. They want you to get angry at all these folks. Don't do it. Be glad. You can be glad in somebody else's prosperity. So what? They got two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, five hundred thousand dollars a year. Think, oh, if I could only make that money. Wouldn't you like that? Hmm, that's like ten years for most of us, isn't it? <laughs> Whew. Oh. Well. 
But don't get it. Don't, don't let that happen. But see, don't let it happen with God either. Don't let it happen with God. See, one of the things that was uh, unknown about the AIG, AIG thing was it was actually written in the stimulus bill that they were to get these bonuses. The, what was written in was disappeared when it went to committee. And then Chris Dodd put it back in. And he wouldn't say why he put it back in. But eventually they've cornered him and he said someone in the administration made him put it back in. So they knew about these bonuses a long time ago but made it sound like they just found out about them to get you all angry and mad. Don't let that kind of stuff... Don't do that. But you see, God has written things in to His Word. He's written things into His Word. And then we pretend like, you know, well, I just found out about this now. You should have known about it before. And you should have acted accordingly. But then we get angry and upset at God when God wrote it in His Word a long time ago. Whether you read it or not, it's up to you to read it. It's up to you to find out. It's up to you to find out how faith works. It's up to you to find out how love works. It's up to you to find out what He said to do in His Word. And if you don't, you have no right getting mad at God. Now, David, from his perspective, has every right to be mad at God until he gets into the Word of God and says, You shall not touch any holy thing lest you die. Hmm. I guess I don't have a right to be mad. So it took, him, took David three months, but eventually David... You know, did, did his research. He got mad for a while. When you're mad, you don't do research, do you? When you're mad, you have pity parties. You fume. You tell yourself all the reasons why you're justified in being right. Can't believe God did this to me. How dare God do Doesn't God see how faithful... Didn't He see... I got Him a new cart. A brand new cart. Spent my own money. And that was no run-of-the-mill cart. This was a good cart. This is a nice cart. This was no Yugo. <laughs> this is a Cadillac. Lexus. Whatever else uh, up there. In the, this was a luxury cart. Probably had shock absorbers and silver and gold on the, on the cart. We're, we're having God go in style. And he spent his own money. Got his, his own setup to get this thing going. Hey, God ought to be glad. I got him a new cart. Got him a nice set. I mean, I got him the best oxen I could find. These are good oxen. You'd pay good, you'd pay top money for these things. And I got them for God for free. He didn't have to pay a dime. <laughs> couldn't you, if you were David, couldn't you get mad at stuff like this? He's angry because he didn't think what God did was just and right. Dear Lord. Wake up. If you ever get into a position where you think God is not just and right, slap yourself. <laughs> Hire someone else to slap. Slap me, please. Get me out of this. God always does everything just and right. Always, always, always. And we all know that, right? We're all, oh, yeah, amen, amen, amen. But have you not been in a place where you thought, <laughs> God, why did you do this? That wasn't right. Well, he's angry and he's afraid. Why is he afraid? He's afraid because fear has set in. And fear is subject to our walk in two things. We've covered this on some Wednesday night things we've gotten into and some things before and on Sunday mornings. But he's afraid because fear is subject to our walk in love. Because we're learning on Wednesday night, perfect love cast out. All fear. It's gone. See, he's not walking in perfect love right now towards God. He's got some anger going on. 
As soon as you let something come into your relationship with God and you're not loving God the way you were before, you can let fear come in because you're not walking in love towards God. We need to love Him and understand that He loves us. If you let anything compromise, God, I understand that you love me. I understand I'm walking in love with you. I will not detour from that. I will continue to walk in love with you. As long as you stay on that, you'll be fine. But as soon as you veer off of it, you're going to get yourself in trouble. So he's afraid because fear is subject to our walk in love and our walk in faith. He's out of faith. He has no confidence. He did, well, I, I don't know. Why did this happen? How many of you have ever been in a situation in your life asking, why did this happen? How come this went on? How was this allowed to go on? Why did God do this? As soon as you get into a place and you're asking that, you are out of faith. You have no confidence. Faith is based on knowledge and knowledge of the Word of God. So if you get into a place and you are unsure, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? I don't understand. Then you can't be in faith because you have no knowledge. You're wondering. So you need to get, off, get a hold of God and find out why, am, why is this happening? Why is this going on? So eventually, somewhere in the three-month period, he did. He may not have done it on his own. I think he was prodded and helped along in, in doing this. Let's go back over here to the, to the Scripture. Verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? See, he's wondering. He's bewildered. How does this happen? How do I get this thing? I thought I knew a way to get this here. It worked for the Philistines. Why wouldn't it work for me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, the reason he's moving this, if you went back a few chapters, the whole reason David is moving this is David has just taken Jerusalem, which is the city of David. He just militarily captured it. And now that he has it, he wants to set up shop there at Jerusalem and he's going to move the ark of God and all the good things into, into there. This is a very old city. has a lot of history. And uh, it was called Salem before. And you can see that in your book of Genesis if you go on back through. So the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. Three months. That's a long time, isn't it? I mean, winter is three months long, right? Isn't that a long time? Too long, right? December, January, February, getting into March. That's too long. Glory to God, folks. It is almost over. <laughs> Warmer weather is setting in. But three months he let this go on. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. <laughs> so get the idea with this. The ark of God has sat at Obed-Edom's house for all this time. And David is upset. He's angry. I don't know how to move it. And he's just—he's letting everything just stay the way it is. But then someone reports to him, Obed, eat him. He is being blessed out of his socks. He used to have 10 sheep born a week. He's having 50. He used to bring in so many barrels of wheat. He's tripled that. His interest on his investments has soared. The stocks that he bought have split and doubled and quadrupled. Oh, he's just... His, his household worth has increased in three months. 
It may have doubled or whatever it was. Can you imagine doubling your entire household worth in three months or whatever? I just went out of figure to you. But anyway, he was noticeably blessed. We're not talking about 10 extra bucks in his checking account. We're talking a blessing that was so astounding that everyone around knew because they've watched this guy and they've seen him progress and they've seen the hand of God bless him. But all of a sudden, the ark of God comes into the house and his blessings skyrocket. We're not just talking about he had a good week. It continued on and continued on and it was really good. So the old neighbors, what is going on at your house? I've seen the way things have been increasing over there. I mean, my field, we both planted them at the same time. Yours are three times bigger. Whatever it is, however the blessing is coming, people are noticing. And in three months, word get back, gets back to David. And David says, oh, that's it. That's my blessing. He's taking my blessing. That's supposed to be mine. That's supposed to be here in my house. So now he goes and gets it. He wasn't going to before. Apparently, he's just going to let it sit there. But when he heard about all this blessing, he went on back there and, and got it with gladness, he said. Well, if you were going to bring that thing home and you just heard Obed-Edom, three months he had that in there and he got blessed. What are, you, are you doing with gladness? Oh, just imagine when this comes over to my house. <laughs> Boy, this is going to be good. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord, what are they doing? They're carrying it. So apparently somewhere he studied, got the thing right. Did what he needed to do. Didn't follow after someone else's pattern, but went back to the Word of God and did the way the Word of God said. And so it was when those burying the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. That's a lot of oxen and fatted sheep. Where are the animal rights people when you need them? I mean, do you know how many oxen and fatted sheep had to die to move that ark? Now, does God say anything about sacrificing oxen and sheep while you are moving the ark of the Lord. Nothing at all. David added to this. This is something he put on in addition. Killing all these, all these sheep and all these oxen and all this stuff. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And we're told that the word there for dance means to dance in such a way as to, uh, to, to um, include leaping. Now, the linen ephod that he's wearing, this is a, a, a priestly garment. So what David has done is he laid aside his kingly garments and he put on a priestly garment. Now, generally, you do something like that, you could die. You could die to step into somebody else's office that you haven't been called into. But it was apparently okay for David. Now, whether David, I think David must have known this ahead of time. But David is a type of Christ and Christ is, is a king and priest. And so it seemed to be okay for David to step into the role of priest every now and then. He did it again later on with the showbread and Jesus even bragged about him doing that. But here he puts on the linen ephod and that's what that is. It's a priestly garment. But he, you, he's not wearing his king's garment. Put that one aside. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the trumpet. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael... Saul's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in his heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David 
offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the men and the women to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Well, the piece of meat, where do you think that came from? All the oxen. He just sacrificed all these oxen. You got to do something with the meat. God wanted the fat. You're supposed to burn off the fat to him, but you're supposed to eat part of it. That's part of the whole sacrificial process. And so he's over there giving all this stuff away. He gave away a whole lot of food. This was an expensive move. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, she's not saying that he was naked or anything like that, which some people have read into and done so. But he took off his kingly robes and became like everybody else. Except he put on a priestly one and then just behaved in a crazy way. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. He didn't take anything from there, did he? And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, that could have been a couple of reasons for that. God may have been mad at her and that was it. Or David may have been mad with her and that was it. Whatever way it was, she didn't have any more kids. She had no kids. Now, apparently she had five stepchildren from a previous marriage. But that's about all we, it seems that she was able to have. So we got the ark. The ark is now moved. We got over our hang-up before. We got the ark here. And Obed-Edom, as we put in your outline there, he is a Levite gatekeeper. I gave you the scriptures on that. You can go look them up on your own if you want to. But he is a, a Levite and he's a gatekeeper. And he's mentioned several times of having that position. You can get up in heaven and find out what a gatekeeper was, but what all their responsibilities were. We weren't given all their details of such things. But that's what, what he had done. So after three months, they're ready to move the ark. We already went over the limit ephod and all such things like that. But first off, we saw that David was extravagant and wrong. Got a nice new cart, nice new set of oxen. But he was wrong. And then he comes back over here and simple. Let's just carry the ark. Now he did a whole lot, threw some extra stuff in there, but he just did simple. Let's just carry the ark, put it on poles and carry it. But it was right. It is a whole lot better to be simple and right than extravagant and wrong. Just a, a much better thing to be. But here's something curious. In chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. The Lord had given him rest from all his enemies. David had conquered everyone that could be conquered. There was no one else to conquer. Everyone was already subservient to David. And they were giving him money. He was not only collecting taxes from his own country, he was collecting taxes from everybody else. How would you like to have worldwide taxes coming into you? So he's got rest from the, from the battles. He's got lots of money coming in. And the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. 
Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus says, Thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who were on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that He will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. And I will be His father, and He shall be my son. If He commits iniquity, I will chasten Him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from Him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So if you ever wonder why God did not take the kingdom out of Solomon's hands during Solomon's time when he had done all that he had done, that is why. It is because of a promise to David. That is how good our God is. If God makes a promise to another and that promise affects you, he will keep it because of the one he made a promise to. Which means when he made a promise to Abraham that in you, all your descendants... All your descendants. He's going to bless all the descendants of Abraham, right? Are you not a descendant of Abraham? Absolutely we are. And God is going to bless you because of what you did. Well, what you do has, a, has, has some benefit. And God will bring some blessings because of what you do as well. But there's a blessing just for being in the house of Abraham. Thank God for that. You're of Abraham. Glory to God. I get blessed. Because God promised him. So here you see in this, when he promised David, even though Solomon messed up as much as he did, even though he brought in idolatry and worshipped some, some foreign gods and multiplied wives and all the other things that he did that were wrong, God didn't take the kingdom from him because of a promise he made to David. That's how strong God keeps his promises. If he makes a promise, he will carry it out. Even if you flub up about it. But here's what's really neat to note. David, he's sitting there in his really nice house. He, I'm sure he built himself a nice house. And you can read some things about his house and things that he, he built in that. He built himself a nice house. He had money. He had lots of money. If you had lots of money, wouldn't you build a nice house? If money was no object, would your house be different? 
Yeah, we'd probably change a few things. Maybe get some new carpet, right? <laughs> well, you'd probably change a whole lot of things. But he's sitting there walking around in his big old house. He looks out over the window. He had just brought God's... And we don't know how much time passed between here, but he brought the ark in. All the trouble he did to bring the ark in. And there it is out there in the tent. And he's thinking, hmm, I'm here in this nice old house. Nice big old house. And God's in a tent. And that bothered him. Some people wouldn't bother them at all. Think that's the way it ought to be. God doesn't deserve, deserve any more. But here, ten our house. What should we get for God? So David has no enemies and he has an abundant supply. No enemies and an abundant supply. How would it be for you if you had no enemies, nobody after your money, and an abundant supply? Picture it this way. You just won the biggest lottery in the history of lotteries. And they just passed a new... Now, they won't do this over in Congress, but just, just pretend. We're, we're pretending. They, they, pretend that they passed a, a bill over in Congress that any money you win in a lottery is tax-free forever. <laughs> Whatever, that's why we're pretending. <laughs> tax-free forever. And any money you make off of that money is tax-free. So no one is zapping your supply. There are no enemies to come and take your supply. What you have is just going to continue to increase and multiply. Glory to God. This is good, right? What are some of the things you are thinking about doing? Go on vacation. Travel the world. Such things. I heard this from somebody in one of the uh, things I was listening to. But he said, when you can do anything you want to do, what you choose to do shows your heart. When you can do anything you want to do, anything, nothing holds you back. No money is going to hold you back. No people are going to hold you back. You have no enemies. You have no lack of funds. You have abundant supply. What you choose to do shows your heart. And here's David. No enemies. Abundant supply. What's he choosing to do? I think we ought to go out there and spend some time on God's house. How many of y'all think David ought to just kick back and relax a little bit? He's worked hard. It takes a lot, it's a lot of work to subdue all those enemies. That's risky business. You're going out there with a sword. Other people got swords. You could die. He's not out there to take it easy. He's out there to keep pushing on. Well, we must be faithful to do what is asked. We must be faithful to do what is asked, not what we think or want. See, David was at first faithful to what he thought ought to happen or what he wanted to happen. And he moved the ark the way he heard it was moved, the way he thought he could move it, maybe the way he wanted to move it. He didn't want to just use any old card. He wanted to use the best card, I'm sure. But that's not what he was asked to do. God didn't say, carry the ark on poles until you can afford a cart. He said, this is how I want you to carry it. This is how I want you to move it. You were to transport it on poles. And He didn't give any expiration date for that thing. That's how it was supposed to be done. We must be faithful to do what is asked, not what we think or want. So what has God asked, first off? What has God asked of you to do? Well, in order for that, for you to know that, you've got to get into His Word. You have got to know the Word of God. Your lack of knowing what the Word of God says apparently does not hold water with God. 
David couldn't get there. He said, wait a minute, wait, wait. Raise Uzzah back up again. It wasn't his fault. It was my fault. I should have done the homework. That didn't happen, did it? And if it was David who didn't do the research, how come David doesn't die? Why isn't that charge just transported over to David? Zap him. Why is it Uzzah that pays the price? And if you're Abinadab, how are you feeling about all this? Everything is just fine with the ark in your house. And then here comes this king wants to move it. Well, Abinadab had a responsibility to find out how to move it. He should have been telling David, this is how to move it. This is what we got to do. If you want us Levites involved, this is how we move it. If you want to move it another way, then you're on your own. Be faithful to do what is asked. And it doesn't matter who comes along and asks you to do something different. Give you some, some examples. We all know that we shouldn't gossip, right? But that's only until someone comes up with juicy information. As soon as somebody comes up to you and presents juicy information, isn't that a good idea to go along with it? Give juicy information back and absorb all the juicy information that you can? Be faithful to do what is asked. That's what we have to do. And we all know things from the Word of God that we are to be faithful to do. Be faithful doing what is asked. And find out what is asked. Don't Your ignorance of the Word of God will not excuse you any more than it did David. Any more than it will Uzzah. Just because you're ignorant of the Word of God doesn't mean hill of beans to God. He's up there. Learn it. You should be learning it. If you're going to go over there and change your electric socket and you get shocked, you call up Pico? <laughs> hey! I got shocked with your service. Well, did you turn the power off before you changed the reset? No! There's no directions on it. It's your responsibility. What's Pico going to say? You're a nut. Call an electrician next time. <laughs> right? They, you got to, it's, it's up to you to find out how to make that thing work. It's up to you to get that thing going. And if you get something that doesn't use 110, how many of you have anything in your house that uses something beside 110? Set a dryer. Most places already have that wired up. But you get something that's uh, wired differently. 220, something odd like that. You have to get the right kind of stuff for it. And you know there's all kinds of 220. You got to make sure you get the right kind of 220. There's 20 amp and 30 amp and you got to find out what does my 220 use, uh, appliance need and make sure that you get the right thing for it. You know, when I go around, I, I, I wired most of my shop that's, a, that's in there. So I had uh, Bruce came on over, helped me with one of it. We had a 220 appliance in there, needed a 30 amp circuit. We made, he helped me out with getting that thing going on. The rest of it, I wired, you know, most of your house is wired with 15 amp stuff. I wired my shop with 20 amp stuff. Because I got one machine, you put one machine on the on an outlet, and that can be 14, 15 amps by itself. You turn on anything else, you're losing all power in it. And so then I went on over and and I took all the lights and I wired them on a separate line. Because if something blows, you don't want the lights going out. <laughs> Nothing like being in a shop and something blows and the lights go, and you can't see what's going on. That's a, that's bad news. But if I wired something up wrong. And one of my tools got shorted out. Who do you think they're going to say is responsible? They're going to say, I'm responsible. That's up to me. Well, God's the same way. 
He has given us of His Word. And I must be faithful to do what's in there. That's why, you know, a year or so ago, we gave you those principle books. When you learn a principle to be faithful to, write it down. Put it in front of you on a regular basis. Always have it there. Keep going over it. Don't make God say it a second time. Don't make God have to keep coming after you. If He said believe, if He said do this, do that, believe that, till you die. Just keep going. Don't quit. Don't stop. Keep going with that thing. Whatever He said to do, keep on doing it. Whatever He said to believe, keep on believing it. Whatever He promised you in His Word, keep on living like that promise is true. Don't stop. So you must be faithful to do what is asked, not what we think or want. And do it with a faithful attitude. Do it with a faithful attitude. How many of y'all know you can get an attitude sometime? Now, as soon as somebody is describing anything as an attitude, it probably is not good. She had an attitude. He had an attitude. Does that sound good? That doesn't sound good. Don't have an attitude. Michael had an attitude when she came and met David at the door. Didn't the king look nice today? Wasn't he dignified? That's an attitude. Get rid of the attitudes. Don't be having that thing. Especially when you get before God. Don't get before God with an attitude. Don't pray to God with an attitude. That's bad news. Don't get before God and say, Well, God, nice job you did today. Way to come through on your word. Yeah, good job, God. Uh huh. <laughs> Don't have an attitude when you come before God. Get rid of them. Strip yourself of them. You do not have a right to have an attitude before God. And if you have an attitude before God, you have lost perspective. I mean, if you got into a cage, fell into a cage, went to the zoo and fell into a cage with a roaring, hungry lion. Don't have an attitude. You don't want to get out there, Ah, oh, you stupid lion! Man, you have a bad hair day? You don't want to have an attitude with a hungry, mean lion. The lion wants to leave you alone? This is good. That's alright. Don't have an attitude. Well, if you're not going to have an attitude there, don't be having an attitude with God. Because God's bigger than a lion. And He can do a lot more damage to you. Don't be having an attitude. So when, when you are faithful, be faithful to whatever God has asked you to do. And when you do it, have a good attitude about it. Don't get angry. Don't let that kind of attitude set in. Don't get to this place where you think, well, I, God shouldn't have done that. I'm right on this thing. It shouldn't be, shouldn't be this way. Don't get angry. Don't get self-justified. And don't get afraid. If you get afraid before God, you need to go before God and say, Father God, I don't understand something and it's producing fear in me. Perfect love casts out all fear. I need to find out. Where's your love in this? What, am I, what do I need to do? And get it straightened out beforehand. Don't let that, that kind of stuff creep in. Faithful or excessive. Just because you are excessive at things does not mean you have been faithful. God could care less at times about the excess. He cares about the faithfulness. And that's what He cares about. And if you really want to do a search in the Word of God and have some fun, how many of you all know that the temple that Solomon built was far more excessive than the little tent David built? 
the little tabernacle that David had. But what's the one that God says He wants to rebuild? The tabernacle of David. I don't think God's always impressed with excess. I mean, a guy who has streets paved with gold and gates made out of pearls, you might think was really into the excess. <laughs> you might think that. But God is more into the faithfulness than He is into the excess. Be faithful. Well, I've been faithful for three months now. Don't matter. Joseph was faithful for 30 years. Have you beaten him? Moses was faithful for 40 years wandering with those Israelites. Have you beaten that? Noah was faithful for 100 years making an ark. Have you beaten that one? Uh uh-uh. uh. Now, there's people in the Word of God blow you out of the water. And then get over to Daniel. How long was Daniel faithful? I don't think he quite made a hundred years old, but he was faithful all the days of his life. And under a lot of opposition and a whole lot of persecution and people who didn't want to see him succeed. Word of God is filled with people. Don't worry about the excess, but be faithful. Be faithful. Just stand up with me. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's table here this morning. Let's get some things ready in the back for us. And let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can be found faithful. We all know things that we should be doing and can be more faithful with it. Help us to be mindful. Help us to be attentive to write down those things we know to do, we know to be faithful with, and to keep them always before our eyes, that we are faithful with those things that You've asked us to be faithful with. Father, we want to honor You in everything that we do. And even though when it looks like on the outside, as it did with David, with all the excess and all the things that had gone on, that he was faithful. He wasn't. He forgot to go back to the Word of God and find out what the Word said. It mattered to you how the ark was moved. Father, there are things you have told us in your Word that matter to us. We don't need to be told them twice, three times, four times. We just want to obey when told the first time. You told us in your Word that Jesus is our healer. He took the price on His his body. He paid the price for sickness and disease so we don't have to. He paid the price for sin so we don't have to. We don't want to have to be continually reminded of that. You said in your Word we want to live in that way. As we observe communion together today, we know.